Thanks, Joseph. Yeah, so it's uh, lovely to be here again. And um, if we don't, yeah, if we haven't met before, my name's Sam. I've got um, three little boys. So I'm in that crazy space uh, of just juggling three crazy kids. Come on, uh, pandemic kids. Jeez, man. Uh, so yeah, it's lovely to be here. And I uh, came up actually on Friday, and just um, normally I get to go to this um, monastery in the Hawkes Bay once a year. And I was just been like, oh, so I want to go there, but they are really protective, and rightly so, of some of the more vulnerable monks and uh, more elderly monks there at the moment. So went to Tauranga instead, and uh, spent the last couple of days just uh, on a semi retreat, uh, which has been lovely. And um, just before I start, I just want to say that. Um, this is like, this sounds like such a cliche thing that guest preachers do, but I'm like, I do want to honour Joseph and Lisa, and I don't normally do this when I go to other churches, like because I feel like everyone just butters each other up a whole lot. But I'm like, it's such a crazy time at the moment, and um, and there's like, and certainly the research in the states and stuff is that so many pastors are resigning or planning to resign because of the pressures they're under. And um, I just, yeah, I think, man, you guys, so the problem when you get really familiar with someone is you kind of can start to lose uh, sight of just what a gift they are. And uh, I just need you guys to know from the outside, like, you're in such safe hands and you've got such good people leading your church with such good hearts. And that's something to really treasure and, uh, and look after them, guys, and be kind to them and be gracious in your comms and all that sort of thing. Um, because it's such a, it's, honestly, it's such a treasure. These guys are such a treasure and such an encouragement for us. And so, um, yeah, so, you know, feel free to send whiskey their way. Uh, whatever uh, Lisa likes. And, um, and, uh, and I, I really enjoy, uh, I actually do listen to Joseph's sermons now. I didn't back then, to be fair, um, but uh, I do occasionally uh, log into what's going on here and uh, love Joseph's voice. And, and there's a lot of people around the country that do that, you know. Uh, and last week's talk, how good was that? That was so helpful. Um, and do you want to just bring out the first slide uh, around the wilderness thing? I thought this was really helpful as well. Uh, I, I've been preaching some similar messages, but nowhere near as cool uh, around... Uh, that whole like discernment around like what like what's going on right now and how are we navigating all of this and um, and for once I agreed with Joseph I was like yeah I think he's right here I'm a, doesn't take a doctor to figure out that we're kind of in this wilderness time Ooh, what do you do what an amazing insight uh, but uh, yeah for once I'm like yeah I see that kind of happening. Um, which puts all sorts of pressure on us, you know, and, and, and makes life very interesting. But I actually think wilderness times are an incredible gift from God. Like, times of pressure actually are an incredible gift from God. And the second we're going to look at some examples in the scriptures, but it's actually the time where God does some of his deepest work in us. Uh, and so I think it's a real gift that we go through this. We went through um, the Christchurch earthquake. So we lived, before we lived in the Bay, we lived in Christchurch. And so we went through that whole phase. Uh, our youngest was like one month old when the February earthquake hit. Uh, and so we kind of navigated that whole time, which was... I was like, ah, that's my once-in-a-generation insane event. Like, I'll tick that box. Now I can just cruise for the rest of my life. And it's like four years later, whatever place Oh man, okay. Um, so it turns out this is now this whole thing going on with the COVID stuff. Um, but what was interesting there is like we kind of got used to this whole idea of liquefaction, you know, that, that there was this pressure that went on with the earth and all stuff and, and stuff bubbling up to the surface. And for me, like COVID's been a bit like that as well in terms of like what's in my soul, <laughs> you know? It's like I thought I was a pretty good Christian, if I'm honest. <laughs> 
before uh, the, the lockdowns. And then, like, with all the pressure and, uh, and the insanity of working from home and young kids and church stuff and all that sort of thing, I was like, oh, I'm actually, like... <laughs> I'm not that great a Christian, it turns out. Like, I'm trying to like, you know, run my life through the grid of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, oh, look, I'm so loving and so kind and so patient and so gentle and so self-controlled. And, and it's like then lockdown hits and I'm just screaming at my kids at every... And it's like, it's got to be like, it's got to be five o'clock somewhere in the world. <laughs> And so particularly as we're kind of going through this whole time now, I'm like, what does it look like particularly to grow uh, in my capacity to become Christ-like, like to, to be sanctified, from be, to be transformed from glory to glory, as the Bible says? What is it? In particular, I want to speak this morning to uh, the idea of like, what does it look like to, be, to grow uh, in our uh, capacity to love people and our capacity to carry peace? What does it look like to kind of really go deeper in all of that stuff? And I think actually this whole season is actually a real gift for our churches and for our walks with the Lord because uh, there's this very clever guy called Mark Sayers who's um, an Australian guy and he, um, I was listening to some stuff from him the other day and he was saying, you know, uh, there was really a virus in the church before the virus that's in our world at the moment. Uh, you know, and that virus in the church back in the day was really just Christian nominalism. It was like we we just kind of turn up to church. We kind of built our own theology. We kind of did our own thing, and it's kind of it was just all about us. Uh, and that was just so damaging, actually, for the church. That's, there was a virus in the church that really uh, messed us up. And what's happening now is that there's, there's all these off ramps for your Christian faith. Like if you want to bail on a commitment to church or a devotion to Jesus, like there's off ramps everywhere. And, uh, and, and the alternative is this greater fidelity, greater commitment, greater love to Jesus, greater orientation of your life around him, greater desire to become more like him, a greater desire to be with him, a greater desire to do what he did in the world around us. Like, there's this incredible opportunity for us to be deeply refined and to find incredible life in this place. What's interesting is that we see these parallels in the story of Israel. There's this incredible scripture that I've been thinking about a lot in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God." It's a fascinating passage for me because it's like the first thing I noticed was that it was God that led them into the wilderness. Like God led them into the wilderness. If you look at like pretty much every character that's used powerfully by God in the, in the Bible, you see they spend a significant amount of time in the wilderness. You've got people like Joseph who spent 40 years in, in the desert of Midian in preparation to lead the Israelite people for 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert. It's like, man, if anyone deserves in heaven like a house next to the, with the views of the ocean with a pool and a waterfall and next to the river uh, with water flowing everywhere, it's Moses, right? Crikey, the guy spent a lot of time in the wilderness. You look at Joseph, 13 years getting refined in, this, in, a, in a wilderness type scenario as he's imprisoned and in slavery. And at the end of that time, he's the one that says, 
he gives all the glory to God. Like he's been so humbled in that place. Jesus himself begins his ministry in the wilderness. Not because he needs refining, but in preparation for, again, for just a great dependence on his heavenly Father. And so the fact that we are in this collective wilderness time together, I think is actually very exciting in terms of what God can shape and form within us. And I love that line, like he caused us to hunger so that he could feed us. Like that has just been me in the last year, especially, and and definitely at the moment. I'm like... Oh man, I'm so hungry, God, for you. Like, I've tried the Tim Tams, and I've tried a few other things as well, and I've tried Netflix and all that, and it's like, it just doesn't satisfy. I need you more than I've ever needed you before. Like, if I'm going to double down on anything right now, it's not my views on vaccination or eschatology or anything like that. It's like, I want you, Jesus. There's such a hunger. And in that scripture, it says he, he, um, he gave them a hunger. Not so that he could taunt them and be like, oh, I like seeing you nice and hungry. He's like, no, he, he gave them a hunger so that he could feed them and satisfy them with the deep, uh, the deep satisfaction of the food that comes from God that feeds our souls. And interestingly, Jesus goes to this passage in the wilderness. No, this is what God's doing. This is, where we're gonna, this is how we're going to understand this moment. And so I find it... Uh, I find it just such an interesting time to be a pastor uh, because I'm like, oh, guys, now's the time to double down on Jesus. Now's the time to take it really seriously if you haven't taken it before. There's too many off-ramps right now. There's too many ways to, to, to just see your faith, faith cool right down. It's like now's the time to say, Jesus, I want to orientate my life around you. Uh, in, uh, in the Bay, a number of years ago, I started um, this little group of um, meeting with a group of guys on Thursday mornings. And, uh, and I've told this uh, before, I think, here, but it's been the most transforming uh, community I've been a part of uh, in terms of our devotional life with Jesus. And what I observed is that, and, and this, I don't wanna, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but for most of our guys under 45, they didn't have an interior life with Jesus. Guys, guys and girls. Uh, they, they really struggled to have a devotional life, an interior life with Jesus, a private world with Jesus, to have daily communion with him. And a big part of that is because we grew up with these kind of weapons of mass distraction, <laughs> dad joke, uh, as, uh, as we call them here. Um, we grew up with them, and so like every spare moment now, can be, including on the toilet and everything, can be, we can be entertained or distracted in some way, shape or form. Again, not asking for a show of hands. Uh, and so I looked at these guys, I was like, man, we, we're bored in church. Like, we need to change this. And so as I talked to them, I'm like, so how's your private world with Jesus going? Like, what, what's your daily rhythms look like outside of a Sunday sort of gathering? And they had the courage to be honest, and it was like, nothing. Like, just nothing's going on. <laughs> Like they would like bring their dusty Bibles to church, and that was the only time they kind of got a little wander, you know. And it was like that was it, and that's cool because I was like, God can't transform who you're pretending to be. So like it was like, okay, let's just start with the brutal reality of where we're at, which is that we've got this consumer Christianity thing and cultural Christianity thing where we turn up Sunday to Sunday, but there's very little happening outside of our Sunday gatherings in terms of it. Now I'm not projecting this on you guys, but this was the case with most of our boys under 45. And so I was like, well, how about we just hang out once a week and just keep each other gently accountable about developing a private world, like developing some devotional rhythms. And, and if you're up for it, why don't we do that? So we've been doing that for two and a half years now. It's the most transforming group, as I say, I've ever been a part of. Two and a half years ago, we go around the circle in the cafe Thursday, 7 o'clock in the morning, and it's like, you know, and everyone's too busy because they've got kids and busy jobs. Um, and so they're like, well, I'm going to try just to stop for five minutes on the way home in the car and 
whatever, you know? And we were prescriptive about what you had to do with spirit lead and all the rest of it. Those same guys, two and a half years later, are so friggin' frothed on Jesus. I'm just like, it's just the, like I do it Thursday, 7 o'clock, I have Friday off. So I finish my week on a high every week because I'm like, I don't know what's happening in the rest of my church, but I know that that little crew are growing in their devotional life with Jesus. And the guy that, that had to pull over for um, five minutes, uh, he now gets up at 5.30 every morning and he prays and he journals and he sits in silence and he invites God to come. And, he, and, uh, and like the other morning, and like there are times where it's left foot, right foot, like spiritual practices are, like you just kind of do it. But the other, like last week, Mike's like, bro, I woke up in the morning, he's telling us on that Thursday morning, and he's like, the Holy Spirit was in the room. Like, this is a guy who loves his league, okay? For like, this is not like the shake and bake kind of slightly weird Pentecostal guy. It's like, no, this is the guy that loves his league and is a principal at a school. And it's like, he's like, I woke up in the morning, I got woken at like 5.30 or whatever, and it was like the Holy Spirit was in there, I could feel it. And then I could feel, and like he was just singing this song of love over me. I'm like, bro, what the heck, you know? And then it's like, like, just, like, this is incredible. We go around the circle. Josiah the plumber, we hang out with him. And, and he's like, oh, yeah, I felt, you know, again, ten, he's only been with us for 10 months. He's like, 10 months ago, nothing's happening. Now he's got a semi-consistent thing happening on his devotional practice. The other morning he woke up and he felt like challenged by God to, um, to do something uncomfortable for him. And I was like, don't pray that prayer, bro. Like, whatever you do, no. oh, you prayed the prayer. Okay, like, how'd that play out for you, man? He's like, oh, pretty bad. Because, you know, I went to go plumb this guy's laundry. And, like, and then as I got there, this guy had this like, chronic back condition. He was telling me about that. And then as I started doing the plumbing, I just felt God say, you should pray for him. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, just spends all day he's just dropping spanners and like, just sweating and just freaking out and stuff. And then the last second, he... Uh, as he goes, oh, you know, I see the invoice. He's like, oh, by the way, man, I'm a Christian. You mind going to pray? Yeah, and he's like, yeah, I love that. And he's like, oh, okay, I didn't expect that. Oh, just pray that you'll be my mate. Yeah, and just like did a plumber prayer, and it was awesome. And so he's, and I'm like in the cafe, just like going, what the heck is going on? Like I haven't done some series on sharing your faith with others, and I haven't been doing a series on the Holy Spirit. But because these guys have an interior life with Jesus now. That actually, like, it turns out John 15 is true. When you abide with him, you bear much fruit. And interestingly, the themes in John particularly are that we would, the fruit in particular is love, joy, and peace. If you track through John 15, but also the whole Gospel of John, these are the three things that John seems particularly focused on, the, the first three fruits of the Holy Spirit. And if you think, I'm, like, I'm fascinated with this, why it's a little discouraging through lockdowns where I thought I was a bit further down the track than I actually am. But I'm like, what does it look like to live a life where that's my experience reality rather than my fleeting exception in terms of like, like living in a place like love, joy, and peace, not like what you do to others or what you should do as a Christian. Experiencing the love, joy, and peace of God, like consistently. Like what would life feel like if it was like that? It would be just unreal. And like Paul, it's like that doesn't remove the whole reality of suffering and everything. It's like Paul is experiencing that through some of the greatest suffering a human being can go through. Like this is why he's like, you can't rob that from me. Like that's in me. And I'm like, I want that. Desperately, I want that. And then, like, we go through this year, and it's like, goodbye, peace. And, like, love, I don't know if I love half the people in New Zealand anymore. I've got very strong opinions about all sorts of stuff. And then I jump on social media, and I get a full head of steam in two seconds. And it's like, oh, 
What does it look like to be a person that lives in peace and lives in love? And what does it look like to, to actually not just move beyond just a theoretical hunger, but to see that hunger manifest itself in a lifestyle change where my life is indeed more orientated around Jesus? Because my contention is a lot of the time, again, this is part of the plague and the virus that was in the church in the 90s, is that we thought that resonance equals obedience. So we come to church and we're like, oh, that's good. I'm getting a little bit of that this morning, which is very encouraging as a preacher. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I like that. But that doesn't change your life. Jesus got frustrated about this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, those that hear my words and apply them are the people whose life is built on the rock. It's not the information that equals the transformation. We, we swim in information. You can hear, like literally, I mean, I appreciate you coming to church to hear me this morning, but you could be listening to N.T. Wright. You could be listening to the finest New Testament scholar alive this morning, right? It's like infam- our access to information is not the issue. The issue in the modern church is the application, is living it out. And so this is where it's like, if you're feeling like you've got a greater hunger for Jesus, where you're just really dissatisfied and feeling a bit angsty consistently, and you're like, I need more of you, Jesus. What does that look like in real terms? What does it look like to seek him? Because again, thinking about seeking him is very different than going away and fasting for a week, which looks, in my opinion, like seeking him. Right? I mean, this is just some of the stuff I think we've got to crack through here in the Western church where it's like, no, I'm going to see something translate in real terms so that my diary reflects my hunger for more. And I'm like, man, you know, go for it, team. Because uh, the Bible's constantly filled with these passages where God's like, I long for my people to seek me. Psalm 119, blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all of their heart. Literally, I'm just pulling two out of the hat here. There's so many. Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Um, Luke 11, when Jesus is like, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. Like, there's this thing on our side of the table. Jesus isn't removing that. He's like, it is about asking, seeking, and knocking. But then it's like, how much more does God want to meet us in that place? Like, he wants us more than we want him, if we're really honest, you know? And so uh, there's this phrase I heard uh, a while ago um, from, I think it was Dave Riddell or something like that. But he was like, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And the wilderness is a, is a gift because it, it invi- it's a time that it invites us to change, to change how we've been living. Where it's like, like honestly, guys, like how is it working out for you currently, in terms of like your levels of peace and joy? But how's that going? And if you're like anything like me, it's like, oh dear, <laughs> oh dear, we need a little more of that, please, Jesus. And it's like, well, let's let's uh, double down on Jesus, and let's maybe get up a little earlier. And again, uh, I'm accountable to, to these guys for my devotional life. I'm accountable to them because I'm like, I need, I need this accountability in my life. The cultural forces are way too strong for me to not be accountable about my devotional life. And so I've got a group of guys I meet with every single week. And I'm like, what is like, guys, ask me how that's going. And I'm brutally honest with them, even as their pastor. And I need this in my life. I need the AA 
Like AA are onto this. The reason that we that, that alcoholics stay dry is because they have a weekly meeting holding them accountable. I'm like, I need a weekly meeting to hold me accountable to stay stop drinking from the friggin' social media cesspool and to start drinking from the well of Jesus. Come on, hallelujah, praise the Lord, that's good. You know, I, I need that. I need the Weight Watchers, which is the same principle, a weekly check-in, because I'm I need to stop consuming the junk food again of the horror of everything out there. And I need to be consuming the word of God that satisfies my soul. I need so much more of that. I need so much more of that. And here's the beautiful, um, here's the beautiful reality. Here's the truth. Is that like God is faithful and that his promises are true. And like when he promises his peace and when he promises that we can know his love, he's not saying that just like some theological that like he's it's absolutely true and this is where like partly I'm like I'm a bit addicted now like I need so much of your peace and to be honest I need it more than just like one little devo a day because I, I get an email you know fairly regularly from people in our church that don't agree with where I land on a few things and it's like I need and then, oh dear I need some more peace now Lord I need some more peace and the, tra- the tragedy right now I think is that um is that there's a whole lot of Christians who I think uh, they're losing their witness because when the world's in chaos and anxiety, they're getting they're just getting sucked into that same spirit of anxiety and chaos, and uh, and that's seeping into many believers' hearts. This anxiety and stress and anger and frustration. And I think like w- like what we desperately need now is a whole bunch of Christians who are a non-anxious presence in the world. Who just carry the peace of God. Me and Lisa were talking before the service just about, you know, this whole thing of like the emotional vibe that you carry. And I'm like, man, I can spot it a mile away now when people are just really agitated and just chewed up and just edgy and stressed. And I'm like, man, I want to sit with Jesus and I want to stay with him until I am feeling the peace of God so that I can carry an emotional field of peace into whatever situation I walk through. And Jesus, like Jesus was under more pressure than we are in right now. Jesus faced more pressure than we're in right now. And yet he carried the peace. He carried peace wherever he went. And then when, his, when he went to say goodbye to his disciples, he said, this peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give it to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Like, my peace I give you. And I'm like, that's a gift. That's a gift. And like the reality this morning is that that gift's available to every single one of us, like right now. And I'm praying that this morning there'll be like, this is, this is the charismatic Pentecostal in me, there'll be an impartation of the peace of God. Come on, church. I really do. I just want, I just, I'd like nothing would fill me with more joy than just a whole bunch of really chilled out some Lukites or whatever you guys call yourselves, just filled with the peace of God this morning. And it's just like, oh, but you know what? You're going to wake up tomorrow and you'll check the news and it's like, that'll be gone. And so what do you like? And again, the tragedy is that most of our devotional lives are the equivalent to running through a shower. And it's like, no, like, what does it look like now to get serious about just sitting with the Prince of Peace until that peace fills our hearts and our minds so that then we can just go into our jobs and stuff. And then it's like it gets a bit stressful again and we hide in the toilet for another couple of minutes and just like, I need your peace, Lord. And we just, again, we just go deeper and deeper into his heart who's walking in the way of peace. I turned 40 this year. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, so dealing with that as well as uh, <laughs> everything else. So again, tricky year. Um, 
but I, uh, and you know, when you're this age, you get to pick your presents, and because it's the 40th, I got to pick like a quite a good present, you know. So I bought myself a drone. Uh, like a DJI Mavic FC, just if you're wondering, and it's awesome. And like all my Instagram now is just drone shots of um, everything. I love it. I brought it up here with me. I haven't flown it yet, but it's in the car because I love it, and it's just like goes with me everywhere. Um, but what was tricky is that um, we had the money for this, and so and there was a special whatever. So I just bought it like two or three months before my birthday. But we have a very strict policy of no opening presents until your birthday, and uh, and it was a real struggle. So I had the drone like sitting on the bookshelf outside my office for like three months. It was brutal. And so like I, I, like, I just would, I would take it down. Like the boys, my little boys would walk into the office and they would see me just holding the drone, just like looking at it, like the box. And it was just like, oh, I can't wait. Like this is going to be amazing. And you know what? I feel like a lot of the time with things like peace and love um, and joy, it's like those gifts are sitting there and we just aren't opening them. They literally just sit in there waiting for us, and it's like you can open it right now, just tear that box open, baby, and go for a fly. It's like it's there to be used, and like it's just and like it's unlimited resource. Like it's just there's the well that will never run dry of the love, joy, and peace of God. And it's like, oh, I want that so badly. I want to live like this is where the wilderness friends, if you let it, will shape you into a more godly person, where you start smelling like Jesus a whole lot more. I've gone all over the show, Joseph. Are you trying to track where I'm going on? <laughs> I finish, I think, with this. Um, we'll see. This, this has been more of a meander and a buffet of Sam's thoughts than the structured talk that I, I had planned, but that's all right. Um, so the peace of God is there for us. But I think where I'm struggling the most is what it looks like to live a life of love at the moment, if I'm really honest. Like, I've been a bit confronted by that in... Um, in the last little while, where again I thought I was a lot more loving than it turns out I am when some of my like gut reactions come out to things I read or, you know, I'm sure you guys maybe will identify with that. Um, and um, so, you know, I, I was just working through 1 Corinthians 13 again, which is that classic passage about love, which we read out of weddings, but it's this super intense. Like, it's, like if you read it, it's like, whoa, Paul, this is hardcore. And it's in the context of Paul looking like, what does it look like for the church to be really healthy? And then he's like, this is the most important, this is the most beautiful thing. And then, you know, so I think, let me just read it out. And I, again, we'll just see what God wants to do through this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Like, this is so for long because it's like, this is speaking to Christians. It's, this is so full on. If I could speak in tongues of men and angels, it's like, again, like you could be super charismatic Pentecostal guy, but also you could be really eloquent. But if you don't have love, it's like it just means nothing. You can have like all these spiritual gifts. You have the gift of prophecy. You can have mysteries of knowledge. Like you could be the smartest Christian in the world right now and have worked out everything on eschatology and how Christians should respond. But if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything to God. You can have faith that moves mountains. It's like, that's insane. But if you don't have love. You could give you could be the greatest philanthropist ever. You're just giving and generous and generous and, and then you could be like even martyred and like you're suffering for your faith. Like if you don't have love it just counts for nothing. Like that's an intense thing to read out at a wedding. 
It's like, okay, wow. And then, then it goes on, because we've got this whole like cultural vibe around what love is, which we swim in in terms of our own formation around what love is. But then the Bible comes in and kicks our little tushes when it comes to what love is really all about. And, so, and then so I, I was just meditating on this and then just going through like, where am I strong and where am I weak? So let me just read it out and then just pick the word that resonates both ways, right? We're like, oh, pretty good at this and pretty rubbish at that. Okay, love is patient. I didn't do well there, just uh, so you know. With the, I was like, why do you start with that, Paul? Like, maybe we could like finish with that or something, but immediately I'm like, okay. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. It always perseveres. And I, re- I was reflecting on that because I, I was reading um, N.T. Wright's commentary on that passage, and, and this is a longer thing, but I just find it. I found it really helpful and quite challenging. And he said this. He doesn't even bother trying to to give commentary on this passage in terms of context and all the rest of it. He just says this. Perhaps the best thing to do with a passage like this is to take it slowly, a line at a time, and to reflect on at least three things. First, ways in which we see this quality in Jesus himself. Second, ways in which we see, or more likely, alas, don't see it in ourselves. And third, ways in which, if we were like that, it would work out in practice. Such an exercise should never be undertaken simply in order to feel either good or uh, good about oneself or frustrated at one's lack of moral growth. It should always be done in prayer. And at the third stage, as we ask for grace to envisage situations where we could behave differently, we should try to imagine what doing that would feel like, what steps we would have to take to make it happen, to avoid lapsing back into our normal behaviour. Then, when we're faced with the relevant situation, we will at least have a choice which we have already thought about instead of behaving as creatures of habit. And of course, the ultimate aim is for this way of life, peculiar though it seem, and almost unbelievable at points, to become the ingrained way we habitually behave. That is good. That is so good. One of my friend's dad, um, his dream his whole life has been to live on a boat. And he finally finally bought this boat in Topol, uh, and then they were going to ship it from Topol to Napier, where they had to do some work to um, like uh, change some stuff because it's going into the salt water. This, like their life savings in this beautiful boat. As the boat is travelling from Topol to Napier, it hits some power lines, not once but twice, and like smashes the top of the boat. And like my mate Andy, who's in my group that we meet up with every week, just lost his lollies at the people who are entrusted. Like that's their full-time job is to help move boats and not hit power lines, right? For a while there, all of Estale, near where I live, was out of power because of the second hit of the power lines. But his dad responded so kindly and graciously to the people that were, they just munted his dream boat. That like my, my, my mate Andy was just in awe of his character. And he was telling me the story about like how he just was like, oh man, I didn't, I, I'm not there yet. And I was like, and because as he's telling me the story, I'm getting wrapped up. You know how you just start imagining how you would talk to the you know, poor person driving the pilot vehicle and the fact that didn't spot them and all that? I was really warmed up because I knew how. And then when he said it, it hit me and I remembered this. 
And literally one of the things I'm trying to like, get in my head is like, one day if I ever buy a boat and it hits some power lines, I really want to be gracious to the light. I want to think about how's that going to look and how's that going to feel. I've had to go through that. But I've just sat with this passage for, for a number of months now, just going, Lord, what does it look like for me to live this out in this cultural moment? And, uh, and I did NT Wright's exercise and riffed off this for a little bit. Where I, was like, I went through and I was like, man, where, do I, where am I weak? And where do I need to um, ask the Lord for fresh grace? And, and, we, and can I just start imagining scenarios where I could live this out? And I, just, and I sat there and it was uh, very moving. And then I just felt, as I was journaling through some of the stuff, um, God say to me, hey, like if you just continue to yield your life to me and follow my way, you will become like this. And so like in faith, I wrote out, this passage again, but instead of love, I put Sam. Now, as I started that, I had to put some disclaimers. <laughs> Sam is very slowly becoming Christ-like. Sam has a long way to go. And if the Holy Spirit is real, then there is a chance this could happen and blah, blah, blah. But one day and more and more and more, Sam is becoming a patient person. Sam is becoming a kind person. Sam isn't envying others or boasting. Sam isn't proud and he does not dishonor others. That was a big one for me. I was like, because while I might not be writing things on social media, I'm thinking them in my heart <laughs> that aren't very nice, you know. And I just felt really convicted by that. And um, Sam is not, you know, is not self-seeking or easily angered. Or Sam does not keep a record of wrongs, even though Jen does leave her friggin' Pilates mats on the ground all the time and doesn't roll them up. And, but I'm not remembering that. Um, <laughs> Sam doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Sam protects people and trusts people. And Sam's filled with hope. And Sam will persevere. And it, um, and it really like it hit me as I was like journaling. Through, I, I'm like I've just been journaling a lot recently because I'm like I just I, I just need Jesus so much more than I realised. And it hit me. I was like, oh, that's like that's helping me form an imagination about the sanctifying work of God. I want that. So I just sat there in this time with the Lord one time and I did that. And then like I just felt this little prompt of God saying, hey, now I want you to write um, that whole thing again, but this time I want you to put God is because God is love. And so I had to like massage it a bit because it doesn't perfectly fit because God doesn't have to work through some of the stuff that we have to work through. But I just felt the, the Lord speaking this over me. And so like, I just wrote this down, and I'm just a mess as I write this. And, but I just speak this over you as well. God is patient with you. God is kind to you. God, uh, God uh, isn't proud, and he's not disappointed in you. And God isn't self-seeking, even though he's worthy of it all. He's the humble king. God isn't easily anger, and he doesn't keep a record of your wrongs. I was like, thank you, Lord. God rejoices with the truth, and he'll always protect you and watch over you. And God trusts you, Sam, to do what he's called you to do at this time. And God is hope, and God is faithful and always be faithful to you, Sam. And again, as I just sat there, it just, again, it just undid me a bit. And I was like, oh, you're so good. Man, the good news of the gospel is always better than you've just realized. He's so good. He's so lovely. He's so kind. And, uh, and so as we finish, um, uh, we're going to take communion. There's this lovely um, verse in Song of Solomon in, in chapter 8. It says, Who is this coming out of the desert, leaning on their lover? 
Who is this coming out of the desert, leaning on their lover? Friends, we are in a wilderness time. We're under enormous pressure, and things are only going to ramp up, I suspect, over the next year or so. Now's the time for the church to be hanging out with Jesus like never before, not just on Sundays, but genuinely asking and seeking and knocking and and sitting with him and just carrying into the world love, like carrying into the world a non-anxious presence. Coming in, you know, carrying just the, the hope of a God that loves us and who's with us. Being able to love across all our diversity of opinion, all of that stuff. Like, there's this invitation where God's like, come, 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 come closer, come, come a bit deeper. What does it look like to do that? And so, uh, practically, um, uh, can I encourage you if your devotional life is a bit wobbly? to maybe find a couple of other people and say, let's just hold each other gently accountable every week around how that side of our life is going. And, um, and as Rachel Hunter said, it won't happen overnight, but it will happen. I can promise you, if you are consistent with that, in a couple of years you'll be in a whole new space in terms of the interior life you have with Jesus. I personally think if you struggle with that side of your life, the, the number one thing, the number one battle is over our, our private world with Jesus, I personally think. And I think it's worth going friggin' hard on that right now. Because if you've always done what you've, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And I'm like, we have to change some stuff up in this season that reflects our hunger for more of Jesus. That is His way we want to live. Amen. So that's one practical thing that you could do coming out of this. The second thing is to uh, uh, is to sit either on the peace passages or the love passages, depending on where you're in need of a bit uh, of a help. And just sit with those and just journal them. And again, not just not running through a shower sort of devotional, but sitting in them and writing and, and seeking God in them and just letting them permeate your soul. And then imagining scenarios like being on Facebook or Twitter about, and thinking about how it could look to not react in terms of the intuitive anger we may feel, but actually to walk in the way of peace. Uh, and so this morning as we finish, um, I'm going to come to the table. Uh, this is the place where um, all of a sudden all of those resources became available to us. The love, joy and peace of God all of a sudden floods into the world through the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the Son of God. And we can know that resurrection life now here in the present. So let's stand together and uh, let me give the invitation and then we'll, um, we'll take communion together. Um, and if you would like prayer, uh, I'd, you know, I'm sure there'll be some people here I'd love to pray for anyone that's like, oh man, I'm really struggling with the peace thing or I'm really struggling with the love thing, whatever it may be. Feel free maybe to sit in the front row and we can pray for you. But um, we come this morning to the table, uh, the table not of the church, but that of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's made ready for those who love the Lord a little and those who would like to love him more. Everyone here is invited to take a seat at this table, the certain, the uncertain, the faithful and the doubters. And so come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have followed faithfully and you who have tried and failed. There is always a space for you at this table. Come not because of your own goodness, but because of the goodness of God. Come and meet the risen Christ. Come and eat from the tree of life rediscovered. Open your heart to Jesus and receive the salvation of God, for Jesus is the bread of life, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we come to this beautiful place where heaven and earth overlap, the table of the Lord, and we receive the life of Christ as our own. In Jesus' name. Amen.